Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Jalo of the Month Club. I'm your host, Diana Koch. On this episode, we travel to 1968 as we analyze the art house thriller, Death Laid an Egg. This French-Italian social satire features themes of consumer culture and corporate modernization. My guest for this episode is a frequent contributor to Jalo of the Month Club. This is the first episode of the year that he is on. He's a musician, filmmaker, and fellow podcaster. Welcome back to the podcast, Wade Brown. Hello, hello, I'm back. Uh, You forgot to say Pod Crypt Keeper as well. Yeah. My apologies. So thank you for being here via Skype. This episode will be a very much relaxed fit Jello Month Club episode. And we'll get into the details of why that is in just a few moments. But again, thank you so much for being here. So before we get into the Jalo goodness, have you been watching anything interesting or anything that you would recommend for the listeners? Uh, yeah. I mean, I watched Death Proof for the first time in years. Oh, Super- I love Death Proof. Seriously, guys, if you never, I, I prefer that over Planetaire. Fun characters. Fun dialogue, one of the best car chase scenes you'll ever watch, ever. But show-wise, I've been watching, well, I know one I can mention when you're talking about it, but the other one is Seinfeld, because what's the deal with Jalo? And Seinfeld, you know, I never watched the show in its entirety, like, in order. I've always watched them all, like, out of order and all that stuff with my parents and stuff. This is the first time I can watch them all on Hulu. Only on Hulu. Now, 2046 is another movie I've been watching. Uh, it's by Wong Kar Wai. I believe you've seen In the Mood for Love. Just as beautiful as that movie. And it's actually a sequel to In the Mood for Love. It's the same main male character. And because there's that Wong Kar Wai Criterion box set coming out that I ordered. And it's in the mail. On its way in the mail. And I'm like, oh, I'm so excited. It's going to be on Criterion Connection. Which is on YouTube, which you'll check. Well, we'll talk about the plugs later on that. But that's about it. That's all I've been really watching because of the short we're filming next weekend. It's been very hectic to where I don't have time watching anything. Well, did you watch WandaVision? I did watch WandaVision. I was waiting for you. (laughs) You knew I was going to plug WandaVision on Disney+. Plus. I've really enjoyed WandaVision. Oh yeah, you and me. It was one kind. Of, it's kind of like we have these shows where you and me watch like either together or a live text situation, and it was like Wandavision. We got it's one of those things like it's super fun show. And as someone who has grown up watching sitcom Nick at Night when I was a kid, I used to watch like the Monsters and watch like the Brady Bunch. I used to watch all that stuff as a kid in the '90s. Not you know normal stuff like the Disney Channel. No. Ironically, which is on Disney Plus, I watched like Dick Van Dyke show. <laughs> so watching these shows and watching One Division, it made me feel very, very appreciative. Because who hasn't gone through loss and watched TV to cope? You know? Yeah. Speaking of watching television to cope, I watched this fantastic comedic show on Apple Plus called Ted Lasso, starring Jason Sudeikis. Uh, He plays an American football coach who then gets hired by a UK soccer football team. It's very funny. 
highly recommend Ted Lasso if you're looking for something that's a little bit outside the box. It's not often that you watch a show about sports that's a little heartfelt, but there's definitely some, well, not some, there's a lot of humor in there. So Ted Lasso, I would highly recommend that. That and WandaVision, those are my two what I've been watching. I haven't watched a ton of movies lately. Well, until next Jowl of the Month Club, when you could say, I watch Kong vs. Godzilla. Godzilla vs. Kong, yeah. Whatever. Godzilla vs. Kong. <laughs> you know, watching that, and, and probably the next, if there's a Medea movie, you'll probably watch that. Yeah, uh, that sounds just like me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Medea. All right, so let's get into the Jalo of the month, Death Laid an Egg. Do we have to? A love triangle develops between three people who run a high-tech chicken farm. It involves Anna, who owns the farm, her husband Marco, who may or may not kill prostitutes in his spare time, and Gabriella, a young, beautiful secretary. This episode will contain spoilers you can watch Death Laid an Egg on Prime Video and Canopy. What are your initial thoughts, like, right off the bat, if you were to summarize this movie in, like, one or two sentences? It would just be... It would just be 17 question marks. <laughs> no. Eh, I'm going to be real with everyone here. This was a slog to get through. Uh, it's one of those things I was expecting it to be. I think I'm spoiled. We're spoiled because we had a lot of Jala films. I think the last one I did was was it Red Queen kills seven times. Is that the last one I did. That was a good one. Uh, there's just like death everywhere, and there's a little intrigue. This one's very like minimal with the mystery and characters and deaths. Like we'll get into more. I have a hard time calling this one a Jalo film. Sometimes labeled as a proto-Jalo or anti-Jalo, Death Laid an Egg was released in January of 1968, two years before the genre really took off. Death Laid an Egg is essentially a shell of a Jalo film with only two key elements of the subgenre. There is a black-gloved killer that may or may not actually be killing people. Additionally, the story follows the lives of the rich and well-off. So of all of the elements of the subgenre, you get just a few scenes of someone with black gloves, and then all the characters are well off. I have read a few reviews that mentioned Death Laid an Egg was based on a Jalo paperback novel, but I couldn't find the name of the book anywhere. So listeners, if you are aware of which paperback this film is based upon, please message me on Instagram or Twitter so that I can do a little more research and figure out, you know, how come this is hardly a Jalo film, but it's based on a Jalo paperback. It was basically a 60s fever dream. I can see that. This French-Italian co-production was released internationally under the titles A Curious Way to Love, Death Trap, and Plucked. In the U.S. it was released under Plucked. It was re-released in France as The Sadist in Room 24. Throughout this episode, I'm going to try my best to summarize the plot, but be warned, it is very baffling. And like Wade said, it's very much a fever dream that doesn't make a ton of sense. It's very what? Wait, what? Huh? Where am I? 
I understand that. <laughs> uh, are you sort of known from the beginning when the opening credits are like a weird chemistry? Like, I like that. It's just one of those things like, this is avant-garde Jallo. Yeah. Well, let's get into some of the more specific beats of the film, and then we can kind of elaborate on what we liked and we didn't like. But I will say that as far as, like, some cinematography and the more artistic visual components of this film, I did like that opening where it was microscopic visuals and the chicken farm visuals. And I kind of wish there was more of that throughout the film. I was initially recommended this film as a sci-fi giallo, and I think that those elements would have added more sci-fi. Yeah, we'll get into more about tone later on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Marco is an executive in charge of his wealthy wife Anna's chicken farm, which has just gone high-tech with automation and an emphasis on scientific development, leaving the laid-off workers angry and milling about on the outskirts of the property. So you get these red herrings. (laughs) I feel like it's misleading to even say red herrings because it's like what murders are taking place for there to be these red herrings. They put these angry workers there as part of the conflict and part of the mystery, if you can even say that. They just want to pad out that runtime. (laughs) Yes. While Marco's wife is beautiful, he resents her power over him and has been carrying on an affair with her younger cousin, Gabrielle, who has been staying with them since her parents were killed in a car accident. And that was very much a fever dream of a scene when they show the car, the aftermath of the car, car crash. Yeah, that was very like, what? <laughs> I was, oh, I was like, oh, 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 okay, God. But the first, it was just jump cuts. And I'm just like, just really fast cuts. And I'm like, am I watching Lost Highway? What is this? They wish. Yeah, they wish. Under the guise of business meetings, Marco occasionally stays at a roadside hotel and may or may not slit the throat of hired prostitutes. Mystery, maybe not a mystery. I don't know. I found... It to be underwhelming, that that aspect of the film to be underwhelming, but we'll get into again, it's like a lot of this is just these scenes happen and they're supposed to have some sort of depth to them or some sort of meaning to the overall plot of the film, and it's just like they happen and they're just like an afterthought. Like they don't really add to the film as a whole. In real, I noticed something and I apologize to the audience who really love this movie. Because we're just kind of not liking it. We're not vibing on it. But it's just, it felt like two different editors were editing editing different parts of the movie. It felt like there was two writers just writing little snippets of the movie and putting it together. That's what it felt like. Because sometimes it's very dry dialogue scenes. And then sometimes it's like, whoa, jump cuts. Zoom into these things for no reason. It's it's just like, either got to, tone-wise, either got to... Do it all or do little of it. It's, they're they're kind of like there's no well balance of it. I guess that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I can tell you, I wrote my notes. Andy Warhol would love the shit out of some of this because there was a lot of pop art aesthetics in there. Yeah, it was like mod pop art. Yeah, yeah. I thought Andy Warhol would be like, mm. no, no, Dana Vito 
with the the Warhol wig. Like, "Mm, I love this. (laughs) Well, while we're on the topic of Marco occasionally staying at these roadside motels and maybe murdering prostitutes, someone else knows Marco's secret. They have been sending him photographs of his hotel activities as well as evidence that he is maybe trying to accidentally kill his wife. A series of accidents at the chicken farm have Anna on edge, and Marco tries to reassure her despite his own suspicions of sabotage. Yeah, there was literally a wrench in the gears. At the chicken farm. At the chicken farm. And I was like, I said out loud, there's literally... A wrench in the gears. <laughs> like, they they took that saying literally in this movie. Marco has started to suspect that the young secretary, Gabrielle, who is prone to wandering about at night, has another lover. The likely man is a handsome young ad executive hired to work on advertising for the chicken farm. There are four main characters in this. Marco plots his wife's death, but his plans are unfulfilled by his own accidental sabotage of the farm's embryo experiments. I mentioned this earlier, that's pretty much the only science fiction scene in this film. That whole plot was kind of confusing, but I thought as far as like science fiction and practical effects and just general creepiness, I like that. The actual science. Exactly. Meanwhile, Anna receives a note revealing her husband's secret meetings, and she enlists Gabrielle to help her catch him in the act. So now we have Gabrielle and Marco are a thing. Gabrielle and this other guy are maybe a thing. Anna and Gabrielle are plotting with each other to figure out what Marco's been doing. So everyone is kind of going behind everyone else's back to do something sneaky. It's like high school. There's just a bunch of high school crap going on. And then, fast forward to the end of the film, Marco's life is turned upside down when he discovers his wife's dead body in his hotel room. He cleans the crime scene and takes Anna's body to the chicken farm to dispose of it. That was kind of a cool scene with the elevator. Yes, I wrote that in my notes. Like, the elevator, like, all that is awesome. Yeah, the shaft. That was really cool. But plot twist, what Gabrielle and the ad executive do not know is that Marco was not actually killing the prostitutes, but simply hiring them to roleplay murders, letting them go safely and paying them. Spoiler alert, Gabrielle and the ad executive killed Anna, tried to frame Marco for it because they thought all along he was killing prostitutes, so they thought he would be very easily framed. It turns out he was not actually killing prostitutes. You just like tying women up. And, and write, pretending. And writing on them with lipstick. Weird symbols. Yeah, speaking of weird symbols, did the plot with the scarf with symbols on it, did that go anywhere? Oh my gosh, I wrote in my notes, the scarf, question mark? Because I have no idea what the hell is going on with that thing. They try to make this part of the mystery, and does it go anywhere? I, I'm i not sure that it does. He sees the scarf in the, the store window, and then kind of chases the woman down, and then that's it. I don't yeah. know what that has to do with anything. 
plot for plot sakes. Okay. Let's go back to the chicken farm. So Marco is trying to dispose of Anna's body in the chicken grinder, chicken feed grinder. And he falls into the machine and then he's done. That's it. Grind it. So Marco's donezo, Anna's donezo. The police are at the chicken farm having responded to the murder at the hotel. Go to the chicken farm to investigate Marco. Can't find him, obviously, because he's chicken feed now. They then turn their attention to Gabrielle, suspecting her of committing the murder out of family jealousy, which they're not wrong. She wants the chicken farm for herself. Gabrielle and the ad executive are eventually arrested for Anna's murder as the chickens feed on Marco's ground corpse. The end. Yep. That was that was an end of a movie. Marco, who is the husband, the actor that plays Marco, you would recognize him from Three Colors Red. You've seen that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. Three Colors I thought he looked familiar. I didn't think about that. There are two versions of this film. One is 89 Minutes, which is the version that we watched. I watched this on Amazon Prime. Same here. And there's another version with 30 minutes of additional footage, including a missing character. So we have our four main characters, but there was a fifth character who was played by an actor, Renato Romano. The character's name is Luigi. But Jalo fans would recognize this actor from Burr with the Crystal Plumage, The Fifth Chord, and Seven Bloodstained Orchids. So of all of the actors in this film, well, the four and now this fifth one, Renato Romano is the only actor that has ties specifically to Jalo. The scenes with this character mostly consisted of dialogue about the chicken farm, cost efficiency, and getting rid of those workers, those angry workers. And the character of Luigi was a friend of Marco's who had a nervous breakdown and was given electroshock treatment to deal with his high-stress job as a lawyer. Jesus. Basically got rid of this character because a lot of his dialogue was very repetitive, the dialogue that Marco was already having with Anna. A lot of this film doesn't make sense and it's convoluted, so why not just leave this in? Whatever, I'm glad that the film was only 89 minutes long. So you didn't like the film, you're saying. You mean to tell me you didn't want you didn't want more jazz piano blasting in your ear. Because I want more, frankly. Speaking of jazz piano blasting in my ear, the jarring soundtrack was by Bruno Moderna. The music consists of experimental jazz. Is Bruno a hat? he was plucking on a spanish guitar with very little sense of melody this musician only composed six other film soundtracks i'm not really sure what the other ones sound like but death laid an egg features a jerky oddly edited soundtrack but i mean it matches the film's rhythm and the visuals so i guess it makes sense I, I, I assume I don't think he's a bad musician. I assume it's the direction he was given is to be dissonant and not and not uh, you know like 
not not like a melody that makes sense, very dissonant chords that don't work together, stuff like that. I feel like he purposely did it. Like a good example is like Suspiria, which we'll never talk about because it's not a Jala film. But like you know, like when things are going crazy, it's like people say, you hear that with the drums. I feel like they're going for that kind of thing, like a weird, like kind of like uneasiness. It didn't work, but. Death Laid an Egg is not as pervasive as you might expect from a Jalo. There's no mystery involved as to who is the killer. There's no hapless investigator putting together the clues. Unlike the typical Jalo structure, there is no unidentified killer murdering beautiful women. There's only one actual murder, as the prostitute murders did not actually happen. As I mentioned earlier, Marco was simply role-playing, and he did not actually murder any prostitutes. However, Death Laden Egg's promotional material includes the tagline, We are not permitted to even hint at what happens, but it's more than murder. With an 89-minute runtime and only two on-screen deaths, one not even being real, I'm not quite sure what that tagline is alluding to. Basically, they couldn't explain the plot. Because there's a lot to unpack with it. It's weird. There's a lot to unpack with this movie, but not really. We mentioned some of the more interesting scenes, like the opening microscopic scene, some of the jump cut editing, some of the more feverish cuts, which they're not a bad thing. It's just as a whole didn't come together completely. The cinematography is by Dario De Palma. Great first name, great last name. I watched the trailer for Death Laid an Egg on YouTube after watching the movie, so I didn't watch it first. I had watched the trailer afterwards. Frankly, I wish the film was more true to the trailer. The trailer was awesome. It looked super tense, erotic, mysterious. It had a lot of that fever dream type editing. The trailer goes full avant-garde, which you had mentioned that a few times in this episode. I'm like, if you really want to talk about art house and avant-garde, you need to watch this trailer. To me, the film overall was uneven in its look. And tone. Yes, I agree. Full avant-garde. Just go full weird with it. David Lynch wasn't like, you know what, I want to I dial back the weirdness for like a little bit. No, you go all the way, or you don't at all. I'd be remiss if I went this entire episode and did not acknowledge the director, of course. Even if I don't really like a film, I appreciate when someone goes for it. You know, I have to acknowledge Julia Questi, who directed Django Kills, and this film, Death Laid an Egg. It's possible that our director and his co-writer, Franco Arcali, were trying to showcase an insightful message within this film about consumer culture, the sexual revolution, and corporate modernization, but the final product is almost too convoluted to have a deeper meaning. I agree. The dialogue never comes close to real-world conversations. The film could have gone with a different approach and more interesting direction, focusing on Marco's hatred for vapid people surrounding him. The trailer, which I mentioned earlier, includes a voiceover by our male lead. Marco states, 
everything was rotten around the society surrounding me, the people, like all was rotten in me. I found that quote to be very profound. Instead, Death Laid an Egg leans on meaningless scenes of sunbathing and parties with no payoff. Additionally, in my opinion, Death Laid an Egg is not a giallo, unless you're one of those people who classifies every Italian non-gothic horror as jolly. Even then, I would argue that Death Laid an Egg is hardly a horror movie. You know what it reminds me of? It makes me think of a, a French mystery. It made me think of uh, uh, Le Dot Diabolique a little bit. Yes. Yes. I agree. Yep. Put that as a flavor of the month. I'll put That's it as on a Criterion. Fa- That's on Criterion, we right? Did it. We did a Criterion episode about it on YouTube. Well, there you go. One flavor of the month. <laughs> I have a couple more, but yeah, that was unintentionally. When you said that, I was like, I was like, I made me think, like, this is very like the diabolique and all kinds of stuff like that. Like, I feel like the setting makes it lean on the like jet set lifestyle type of Jalo, but there's no mystery. There's one kill, even. The actual, yeah, even that one kill, we know who did it. We know that it was Gabrielle and the ad executive. There was no mystery. This is not a horror film. I wish that it was more true to that YouTube trailer. I would recommend anyone that's listening to this, if you liked the film or didn't like the film, watch the trailer. It's fantastic. Do you have any Flavor of the Month picks? Yes, I do. Uh, by the way, it's diabolique. Don't do. Don't take out Lee. Take that out. I found out it's not Lee diabolique. It's diabolique. Anyway, um, well, of course, my flavor of the month is uh, diabolique. Like I said. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, it's all the theme. I have a Tales of Crypt. Don't worry. But the theme one, I thought consumerism and murder with like a little like a little bit like a satanism thing so i said american psycho man if they would have focused on marco's hatred for the vapid people around him american psycho is like right on par with that Mm -hmm. and for my tales from the crypt episode it's from season two episode five three's a crowd and that's to get the love triangle thing. I don't want to say more about this episode because that is an episode that I have you penciled in for for the podcast, which we'll talk about in, in our plugs. But uh, yeah, Three's a Crowd is my from Tales from the Crypt season two. That's my Tales from the Crypt flavor of the month for this movie. Awesome, thank you, Wade. I have one flavor of the month pick. It is Umberto Lenzi's So Sweet, So Perverse from 1969. The story follows a rich Parisian socialite who comes to the aid of a frightened young woman who is under the domineering control of her abusive boyfriend. Although married, our socialite develops a romantic relationship with this young woman. However, he may have gotten himself involved in more than he bargained for. You can watch So Sweet, So Perverse on Tubi. Wait, I know you have a lot going on, and you are filming a short film in a week as of when we are recording this podcast. 
Is there anything else that you would like to promote or plug while I have you on this episode virtually? Of course. Uh, by the way, uh, you forgot to mention Jalo short. Don't worry. Throughout the year, I'm going to be talking about the Jalo short. Don't worry. But yeah, I have a new podcast, Tales from the Pod Crypt. We've been teasing it on this show for like, what, two years? But I should do a Tales <laughs> from the Crypt podcast. And I did. And we are a couple episodes in. The first episode was with you, Man Who Was Death. That is on anchor.fm slash Tales from the Pod Crypt. But it's also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all kinds of other podcast services. You can check it out. Um, aside from that, we have the Mink Dish YouTube, youtube.com slash Mink Productions, because we talked about a lot about Criterion movies that are on the Criterion Connection on that YouTube channel. Might as well check it out so we get more subscribers. I want more. I want more interaction from you guys. And, of course, for Tales from the Podcrypt, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. It's just Tales from the Podcrypt. Me personally, Suede MCP on Letterboxd for all my watches. You can see what I'm watching right now. And of course, Suede Guy, Instagram, and on Twitter is Franken Suede. That's me. That's Wade. That's all Wade does at the time of this recording. <laughs> that's all you do. You just listen to like seven things. <laughs> yes, that's all I do. Uh, I have a band, but we're, you know, with COVID, not, really, not much. We're working on an album. That's about it. But until, that, until we have that album done, I'm not going to plug it. So. But what about you? What's your plugs on your own show? You can follow Jollo the Month Club on Twitter and Instagram at Jollo Club. Logo design is by Vegan Patches on Instagram. You can find Vegan Patches Etsy shop at Retirement Fund. Intro and outro music, theme music, is by Dream Division. You can find Dream Division's music on Instagram at Dream Division Music and on Bandcamp at dreamdivision.bandcamp.com. And you can follow myself, your host, Diana, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at DianaNK. Wait, thank you for being here. This whole virtual is because I'm filming next weekend and I want to be safe with my cast and crew. And I am quarantining. Same. So, so that's, yes. you know, but afterwards, you know, I'm, you know, because I know you're safe. We've both been safe the past year. It's been a year. <sighs> Literally, it's been a year and a few days. <laughs> yeah. But don't worry. Hopefully, we're almost out of this black hole and we'll all be, well, you, you and me still do podcast stuff, but you know. Lovely podcasts you can do virtually. We learned you can do virtual podcasts. As always, I'm your host, Diana Koch. I am your favorite Jowl of the Month Club guest host, quote by me, Wade. And you've been listening to Jollo of the Month Club. <laughs>